0: The rest of you can open up to 1 Timothy 4. That's where we're going to be. Uh, so I was, I was at a, a leadership retreat this weekend at Mount Hermon with um, all of our Foster the City crew. Uh, so we had um, a whole team from Southern California fly in, um, a whole team from Nevada fly in. So it was a really spectacular Friday, Saturday. And um, late Friday night, too late to reply, I see a voicemail from Rob. Well, Rob was calling to tell me these great updates about his foster care experience and adoption. Uh, and so I texted him the next morning. I said, sorry, I have no time to hear about your foster update. I'm in the middle of leading a leadership retreat on foster care. So, um, <laughs> so uh, I actually have two people in the room. Jen's another one in the back there that uh, if you didn't hear back from me this weekend, it's because I was very dialed in and focused on some things. Uh, But I just want to tell you just amazing things are going on um, in the the foster realm um, around three different regions. So really fun to kind of come off of that weekend and get to be with you all and preach. So um, I want to say this, that uh, sound doctrine... Um, And and again, think about doctrine as a set of teachings. It's not just a religious word. It's not just for religious people. Um, People live by all sorts of doctrines. And sound doctrine um, or good teaching uh, in the Bible is not just found in the words and sentences and paragraphs of the Scripture, um, but also in the connecting uh, sinews and tendons that link ideas. So in other words, the placement of a truth in the Bible um, placed before and after some other truth is all a part of God's wisdom of how truth shines through that isn't seen if you just take truths by blocks. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Today, we are talking about being good servants of Jesus Christ. Listen to these words. We're going to be trained by words and doctrines. But this doesn't just happen. We are to train ourselves for godliness. The word toil shows up in our passage today. The word strive shows up in our passage today. So you could be sitting there and walk away this morning and go, got it. So we should discipline ourselves. We should enter into rigorous training for godliness. Say no to all kinds of distractions. Limit ourselves. Yep, we're good, pastor. Got it. And I would tell you, wait, don't go just yet. Because we have to remember last week. Last week had a text that seemed to say something potentially exactly opposite. For a little hint, it's the first paragraph in First Timothy 4. So today we're looking at verses six through 10. One through five talk about something completely different. Some of you have a short memory like I do. Some of you weren't here, so let me just take you back to last week. If this week's passage is called "I don't," last week's was called "I Do." I didn't set this out to be a two-part series. But when you see scripture next to scripture, you see new things. So last week was combat lies by celebrating truth every day. How are we supposed to do this? By savoring the good food that God gives you to eat, by reveling in your marriage. Enjoy life. Don't abstain, don't be rigorous. Take a wife, take a meal. So you could be sitting here already a few minutes into the sermon and go, I'm totally confused. Am I supposed to be rigorous and say no to things and be disciplined, or am I supposed to just party it up? And my answer would be, absolutely. You got it, Stephen. Yes. Yes. There's a brand new truth that sits between verse five and six, and you do not see it unless you read the Bible in context. In fact, I would submit to you, If you were to build a set of doctrine, a sound doctrine that wouldn't be sound, out of just verses 1 and 5, you may form a cult of license. A cult of licentiousness, where you just say yes to everything. You don't say no to anything. You don't limit yourself on anything. And if you were to say, I don't like those verses. I'm more of a 6 through 10 person. You would form a cult of legalism. So what we see by preaching through the Scriptures, and by the way, this is yet another reason why the bread and butter of Neighborhood Bible Church is we just preach through books of the Bible. We take different time lengths to do it, but we want to see the truth of Scripture uh, in context. Verses 1 to 5 provide balance to verses 6 to 10. And the giant message would be, avoid legalism. If you missed last week, please go listen to it, because you may come away from this going... I'm the most spiritually disciplined person around here. And it would lead to a whole set of problems. But verses 6 to 10, today's passage, provide balance to verses 1 to 5. And the big danger there is avoid license, just doing whatever you want. We talked last week that what's behind our behavior is really, really important. There's a great book by this title, but the spirit of the disciplines might be more important than the disciplines themselves. So think spiritual disciplines. Think physical disciplines. The spirit behind the discipline, Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard, I would highly recommend that book to you, is is what this is talking about. So taken together, verses 1 through 10, um, harkens back to a core truth that we find all through Scripture. Here it is. We we talk about this all the time here at this church. Rest in the finished work. What did Jesus say on the cross that was so curious? It is what? Finished. What would you be saying if you were about to die? I am finished. (laughs) It's over. I'm done. But Jesus says something totally different. It is finished. What's finished? The work. He goes and sits down at the right hand of God because it's done. It's accomplished so we rest in the finished work. But catch this, we rest in in the finished work so that we can strive at the good work. What's the good work? The good work is all the things God has for us to be doing. The good work is what I just spent two days with 50 different leaders from three different regions talking about. How do we get after protecting God's kids? who are being mistreated by individuals, by systems. How do we do that? Well, we get after it. That's a good work. But don't you see that if you strive for the good work, strive for the good work, strive for the good work without regularity, if not daily returning to resting in the finished work, it would turn into something totally different than what it should. Let me give you one quick parallel passage to this idea before we look at our text today, because what I want to show you is by seeing these things in context, by seeing them back to back, what sits side by side in Scripture is often very telling about how to nuance that truth and not lead to error. This is from Second Peter um, chapter 3. You, you don't need to turn there, uh, but just look at it on the screen. This is Peter's version. Remember, Paul wrote First Timothy. So Paul wrote some things that sound an awful lot like Peter. It sounds exactly like they have the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because that's where they got it from, okay? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17, look for the warning and the command. It says, therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. This is a parallel passage because today, Paul is going to once again address false teaching, lawless men, ways to go sideways and what we are supposed to do. What's the warning in this passage? It's be on your guard. When we preached through 2 Peter, we called it on guard, like the French uh, saber person might say. I don't even know what they're called. Fencer. There we go. The Olympics are coming up. It's coming back to me. On guard. Watch out. Lock your doors. Stay alert. Spiritual attack is real and destructive. Don't fall for it. Don't fall from your secure position. What's the command? The command is this, grow up. Grow up in God. Grow up in grace, grow up in knowledge, work at it, study, Uh, do these things. So that's the command. So what you see is this. You see this tension, this nuance going on. Let me show you a graphic from your body. This isn't really what your body looks like, but it's sort of like trying to give you some idea of what's going on. There is hidden brilliance in your body. Most often, I learn about these things when something goes wrong. In fact, this slide went up, and someone in our church saw it earlier today, and he goes, and he has a tendon problem. He knows these graphs very, very well. So think about this. Imagine elbows and knees without the tension of tendons. Imagine what they would be. I want to highlight this little thing at the bottom here. What do do tendons do? Here's what I wanted to highlight to you. They serve to hold structures together and keep them stable. And what a great description of the hidden brilliance of God in the Scriptures. Between verse 5 and 6 in 1 Timothy chapter 4 is this hidden tendon. It serves to hold this thing together. It serves to hold and kind of bring these together and actually bring tension that keeps them stable. So we're not even to our text yet, but I just, this is me imploring you, keep reading the Bible through um, book after book after book. Keep reading it in context. Don't grab what you think it says, yank it out of context and run with it. Have you ever been misquoted? Something that you said that was technically right, but totally missed the meaning. That feels terrible. That can lead to all kinds of things. It can actually lead to lawsuits. Well, people do that to God all the time by not reading in context. So all of that to celebrate how 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 10 is actually sort of a part two to 1 Timothy 1-5. to So, this week, we're talking about, I don't. Last week, we used the words, I do. And the subtitle here is, Combat Lies by Walking Out Your Faith. In your notes, I put this. But Paul gives Timothy three spiritual essentials. He says, put before, avoid, and train. Okay? So, that's kind of our outline this morning. That's where we're going. What I want to say is this: This is for Pastor Timothy, um, but it's really it's really applicable to all Christians. So, so as we go through this, don't think, well, this is just for um, people who are gifted by God to pastor to teach. That is that is Timothy's role in this church, but this is really for Christians. Do this for yourselves. I would submit to you parents that you doing what's being commanded of young Timothy here for the church is going to raise the health of your home, just like this will raise the health of your um, of, of your home. So, number one, point out or put this before the church. This is from verse six. Let me just read it. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained by the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. There's that term, good doctrine. Sometimes doctrine takes center stage. It's taking center stage in the text this morning. Many times you guys are getting doctrine, and sometimes we pull aside and say, we are talking about doctrine right now, a set of teaching about the nature of God, about the nature of man, about the nature of stewardship with money, whatever it might be. Here it's taking center stage. I want you to look at, highlight, if you're doing digital, uh, just do a digital highlight, whatever, the words good servant in this passage. Good servant. It'd be very easy to sort of skim by that and get on to what does train yourself for godliness look like? We're going to get there. But I think good servant is really worth sitting with for a moment. If Jesus is your Lord this morning, then you are intensely and keenly interested on what makes a good servant, aren't you? I mean you want to please your lord. If you're in the military you want to please your commanding officer. If Jesus is your lord, you want to know what makes a good servant. So you kind of lean into this. By the way, I think there are many many titles. We really wrestled with titles here. I, we want to no know titles. And we realized that that a term like lead pastor, which I think can be really confusing and really distracting, um, Within the church, I think it just uh, it, it can it can set ideas up and thoughts up that sort of mess with things. Oh, they're a leader; I'm a follower. Let me say really, really plainly and clearly: this church, the church, is a fellowship of followers. All of us are followers. How does Paul most often call himself when he introduces himself in his letters? Slave or servant? So, servant is a wildly great thing to get in your head.
1: So that means this. Who is the least among us? Their servants. Who's the most well-spoken among us? A servant.
0: Who amongst us in this church is the most courageous? Our God is fearless. They're a servant. Who among us is most talented? Servant. Who among us does the most menial, behind-the-scenes work? A servant. Who are the elders amongst us? A servant. Who are the deacons amongst us? They're really servants. Why? Because deacon means what, Rich? Servant! Servant. (laughs) Then we're all just deacons. We're all just servants. So we need to keep this in our head. I'll I'll tell you, um, this week, I tried my hardest to get my sermon done before this leadership retreat because I really wanted to be present It was costing someone a lot of money for me to stay one night at Mount Hermon, be fed by Mount Hermon, um, and it cost my wife me being gone from the home. So I just thought, man, people are investing in me being here. God, I want to really be present all day Friday, all day Saturday. That's why I didn't get back to you, by the way. And one of the things that I have a hard time doing is turning off what's happening right now. I give a speech most Sundays. (laughs) It's called a sermon. And I'm always thinking about it and mulling on it, and going, oh man, that connects and that connects and that connects. And there's a sense because we're all just servants, we're all learning actually directly from the Holy Spirit, that I can just go, oh, that's right. Lord, this is your word. These are your sheep. These are your people. You're the leader. You're the pastor of this church. You're the one that's going to communicate what needs to be done. Doesn't mean I don't strive for excellence. Doesn't mean I don't pour all of my energy, blood, sweat, and tears into what's going on right now. But I rest in the finished work of Christ. God, you bled and died for these people. God of miracles, come. Or else this is just a silly speech. These are just words we're just reading. Oh, so we can rest in the finished work so that we can strive at the good work. It's good to be standing up here preaching to you this morning. But I am just a servant. I'm wanting to do what Paul is telling Timothy. Be a good servant. Put these things before the people. Who are the brothers? It's the church. The brothers and sisters of Christ. Timothy, put these before the church.
1: You want to dwell well in the house of God? Be a servant. Periodically in my home,
0: I will come home from work and my kids will say, don't look at the, at the dining room. Don't, no, you can't look. Don't look. I go, okay, 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 I won't look. Go put my backpack down, whatever else. And then at some point, someone will say, Close your eyes. And they grab my hand, and there's a step leading into our living room and back into the dining room. They always forget to tell me about the step. So I'm actually peeking, to be honest. But I'm holding their hand. I take the step down. I come over, and I am seated at my spot at the table. And they say, do no, 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 don't, don't peek. And they wait until there. And then they have me open their eyes. And what's going on in my home in this moment
1: is that my children. Are trying to outdo one another in showing honor. Our home goes immensely well when we're
0: all trying to outdo one another in showing honor, in just being a servant. Who can outserve the other one? That's almost what's happening and the table is set marvelously, and then mom will brag on the fact that no one even asked them to do this, they're just doing this. Isn't that a gift? Now, it doesn't happen all that often. I haven't gotten to the point where I take this for granted. So don't, so don't think, oh, well, you're a pastor. Of course your home's like that. <clears throat> Not true. This is exceptional. That's why I'm telling you about it. But man, it's so good when people become servants. By the way, Romans 12.10 says do just that. You're a competitive person,
1: Go compete at out showing honor to other people in your church. We are all servants. How are we a good servant?
0: Well, according to Paul, by putting these things before the brothers. Keep sound doctrine, words of the faith, in front. Invest time in it. Put energy into doing this. The language here is gentle, as in remind or nudge. The way NIV Point says is point out these things to the church. So there's a time for hellfire and brimstone preaching. I'm not not against that. I think there's a time for that. There's an urgency for that. But this language has more the, the everyday. Keep pointing this out. Keep reminding. Keep sound doctrine. Hey, remember that this is true of God. This is true of man. This is true of creation. This is true of our future. And you just keep pointing these things out. You keep putting them in front of. By the way, this is discipleship. This isn't, again, just for those with teaching gifts. This is for Christians. Show the way. Look at this picture that I've chosen for this morning. People out hiking. Show the way. We see this in this picture. Hike with me. Here, do it like this. Hey, some of you are more experienced hikers than others. Hey, don't forget, drink before you feel thirsty. Oh, you forgot water? I've got some water. Here, drink. Hey, watch this part of the trail. It's a little tricky. You're going to want to stay uh, kind of single file right here. So, so this, is just, this is just kind of pointing out. Isn't it true that we grow by helping others grow? We talk about this a lot around here. This is the, this is the model behind family ministry at this church. We are calling us as older Christians to consider other children's needs. More important even than our own children's needs or as important. And so we invest in in them. And you go, well, I don't teach people the biblical truths. Well, you should. Grow up in it so you can show someone else. We're all called to disciple. By the way, if you're going to put anything before someone else, it has to be before you first. That's part of the, the beauty of it. Sometimes I think about this, this is so true with teaching or tutoring. All you need to do is be one week ahead, one step ahead of what you're going to teach. I'm pretty well versed in 1 Timothy 4. You know why? I had this deadline called 9 a.m. where it says, Dave, you're on for the sermon. So what it forced me to do, and inherently, like in the flesh, I am not a disciplined person. It forced me to carve out time to study the passage, to be maybe a step or two ahead of you, because I put this before myself before I can put it before you. All right, next he tells them what to avoid. Number two, don't focus on fables. That's how I would kind of uh, phrase verse seven. Verse seven, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths.
1: Refuting and calling out is needed, but don't fixate.
0: All of us only have so much time time and energy to pay attention to some things. Don't fixate on fables. I'm gonna ask some real questions this morning, by the way, so be prepared for that. Uh, people who are watching, um, I've already prepped you on, uh, on YouTube that you guys can weigh in via the, the chat, but this isn't one of those real questions. I'll get to some questions where I'm saying I'm actually asking this, I actually want some feedback, but I want you just to think about this for a moment. What are the fables, what are the myths of our day and age? What are the things that people are just focused on? And I think there's irreverent varieties, and I think there's just silly varieties. So just be sort of chewing on those. What's, what's true of our day and age in terms of what the myths are? What are the um, things that are going on? What we've been seeing in First Timothy is this. False teachers are to be expected, but not tolerated. So, Timothy, don't be shocked when people in the name of Jesus Christ rise up from what looks like among the sheep when they're actually ravenous wolves. Don't be shocked by that. Because false teachers are to be expected and not tolerated. So just because something is expected doesn't mean you go, well, what can we do? There's false teachers in our midst. No! He says false teachers are to be expected but not tolerated. We're to call them out. There is action here, and yet by instruction and by example, Paul stayed focused on sound doctrine by not fixating on every lie, whisper, myth, or rumor. If you read Paul, he is laying out an example of what this looks like. Is there refuting of lies, myths, rumors, and such? Yes, but the bulk of it is on here is sound teaching, sound thinking, right ways of living. Flip over in your Bible to 1 Timothy 1 for a moment. I mean, right out of the gate, remember, in 1 Timothy 1, 3, he says, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves, we'll come back to the word devote, nor to devote themselves, here it is, to myths and endless genealogies which promotes speculations, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. There's that word devote. False teachers devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies that have a terrible output. Now from last week, uh, false teachers are devoted, remember, to lying spirits and demons. They have devoted themselves to a game plan, to the coaches, and to their system and way of thinking, and they are promoting and teaching that.
1: Be careful who you devote yourself to. Don't devote yourselves to these things. Let me
0: give you a lengthy quote from John MacArthur because it's so good, and you're going to have to just close your eyes, focus, and hear this. I didn't put it on the screen. I tried to cut parts of it out, but I just wanted you to hear this in context because I thought it was so powerful. Here it is. The failure to think biblically and theologically has cost the church dearly. It has allowed the infiltration of all sorts of error that in turn has led to the church becoming confused and weak. Convictionless preaching consisting of watered-down teaching, platitudes, and weak theology, has replaced doctrinally strong expositional preaching. The resulting legacy has been one of charismatic confusion, psychological encroachment, mysticism, and even psychic and occult influence. Much of that chaos can be attributed directly to the failure of pastors to think critically and preach with conviction. So many pastors have failed to draw the line clearly between truth and error and built their people up in the rich and sound doctrine of God's Word. Such weak preachers are often said to compensate by having what some call a pastor's heart. A pastor's heart, however... Is not measured by how good a man is at petting sheep, but by how well he protects them from wolves and feeds them so that they grow to be mature and strong. Whoo! I told you I couldn't. I kept trying to cut that down. That's just a good quote. If you want where that is, I'll I'll, I'll give that to you. But that's that's from his commentary in First Timothy. So protection, shining the light, and calling out lies is good. However, we're not to fixate. Here's here's a real question. Okay, now I'm asking a real question. I want some real responses. How in the world do we do this? How do we not fixate on the fables, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths? How do we have nothing to do with it and not tolerate false teachers who devote themselves to irreverent silly myths? What's the balance with that? Any thoughts or ideas? And I'm not, none of these questions. Speakers sometimes do this. They set you up and then they kind of come in and give you the right answer. And you're like, oh man, I feel like a you know, dummy for, I'm not doing that. I'm just, I'm, I'm asking for feedback. I want engagement on this. There seems to be a tension here. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. And he's saying, charge certain people not to be doing those because those are silly reverent myths.
1: How do we do it? What's the tension here? What do you guys think? So, not even like, like not shooting from the hip, not just kind
0: of preaching the whim. Yeah, I like that. That makes a lot of sense, Rob. Yeah, less anchored, anchored in God's word. Yeah, that's right. So, even the amount and pace and language that we might refute should should mirror that. One of the things, by the way that that we that we preach at this church is we want the the point and the tone and the flavor of the text to influence the point and the tone and the flavor of the sermon. I was much funnier when I was younger. I'll just tell you that, I was. But part of it, I realized I used, I used humor as a thing to like draw a crowd in, that's when I'm healthy. I used humor to feed me, to say, hey, love me and approve me. <sighs> okay, now I feel okay, now I can talk in front of people, now let's get to some hard truths. So I was funnier when I was younger, but you know what? Much of the Bible isn't that funny, <laughs> I mean there really is humor there. But 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 we have to sort of let it match to the text. And so that's a great point Les I hadn't I hadn't thought of it that way. James, what were you gonna say? speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Yeah, okay. Yeah,
1: Jen. Like mm. hmm What do you got, Nico? Fire away. thank you, Nico. I got to see Nico
0: in his car this week outside of church, and we waved wildly at each other through our windows. That was very cool, buddy. I like that. Listen, I want to come to Bible texts with a mature thinking. I want to grow you up. I want to grow up. I don't want to just read that and go, okay, I'll avoid that completely. When elsewhere, it says, no, charge certain people not to do that, and I need to wrestle with what does that look like? I think some of this is, Rob, you kind of touched on this, but there are some preachers, there are some people, there are some individuals who are addicted to controversy. They love controversy. They get a a weird little pleasure out 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 of controversy. There are conspiracy theorists who chase one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. And if a person in your life is like that, or you might be that person, hold yourself accountable to say, hey, I'm really invested in this. I'm researching. I'm doing all this. Can you bring me back? Once more comes to light, can you bring me back and hold me accountable to what I thought about it so I can train my thinking not to just chase the next one? Because there's always a next one. And very, very often they don't go back and hold themselves accountable to go, you were way off on your thinking. Why don't you own that? There are urban legends. There are endless issues, related blogs, and opinions, and sides. I think it's important, actually, for pastors not to be in the flow of most of this. I will tell you right now, our church, by the elders' conviction, is not to preach the headlines. We think there is a chasing after a wind. There is a all over the place spotlight that can happen. We preach the scriptures in light of the headlines. We don't ignore what's happening in our culture. We're very aware of that. But God has shown us... Uh, through through 2020 continuing through luke god should we pause luke we were in prayer jen should we pause luke and directly address some of these issues we felt convicted to keep preaching through luke and over and over again we kept seeing god's god's plan for teaching us and instructing us is he was answering questions we weren't even asking no one in culture was was asking but they were imminently applicable to our to our lives
1: People want me to weigh in and take sides on all kinds of things. I'll tell you my response to some of you has
0: been that I need to excuse myself from from taking a side on that, from weighing in on that, from tracking that, from fact-finding, whether it's fake news or real news, the mission that you're currently on. Here's why. Because it is distracting me from my primary calling and purpose. Acts 6-4, they said, we won't even go serve tables. Why? Because we must devote ourselves to the Word and to prayer. I only have so much time and energy. So there are times I say, I don't know. I can't weigh in on that. I choose not to. I may have a really strong opinion. I'm actually a pretty opinionated person. But I know that my calling is to know and teach sound doctrine And that I am built up in that, and we as a church are built up in this. By the way, so much of this melts away once you grow up in the truth. I turned 50 this last year. At age 50, I know enough of Scripture. I know so many things that you can just spot. Like, that's just so false. That's so easy to refute. But when I was 25, I would have been like, ah, there's a giant conundrum. They bring up a really good point. I don't know how to answer that from the scripture. I hope at age 70, I look back on 50 and go, it's pretty much all easy to refute now because just, I'm just so grounded in the word of God. When you see the light of truth, you're like, yes, that makes sense. That's why people are fighting. James says, you, you quarrel because of these things. Of course, I have a right doctrine of God, a right doctrine of man. I know how to reconcile. The Bible's told me, easy, not easy to do but easy to see through all the nonsense going on all around it. All right, let me keep going. This leads to the final part. Train yourself for godliness. Man, this is so good. Here we go. So avoid irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Verse 9, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end... We strive and toil because we have set our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. All right, the title pick uh, this week. um, Walk, by the way, is the primary metaphor in the New Testament for our life with God. It's a great book. I think it's just called Walking with God. It's by a guy named Mark Buchanan. I own a hard copy of it, you're welcome to use it, please bring it back. He's one of my favorite authors. I will read this book again. It might be called Godspeed. I'll, I'll have to get that to you. Um, but it's a really good book, exploring walking and just walking with God and how much of the scriptures um, communicate this. Philippians 2 says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. James says that we better be doers of the word and not simply hearers who accumulate more knowledge. So I think that walking out our faith is a good uh, sort of sync up of some different biblical ideas. Walking is the perfect picture. All right, another real question coming out. You ready? Here we go. You guys did good with the first one. Um, What do you see in this picture that just rings true of the Christian life that we are called to live? What are some things that you might see uh, in this picture that kind of called out? Um, And think really surface level, and if you want to go deeper, you can. But what do you see? Raise your hand
1: so I can see who's talking, and then pull your mask down while you talk. Les.
0: Okay, that's right. There's a there's a pace that kind of goes along with the hike in in the forest. Rich. Uh, they're all wearing shoes. They're all wearing shoes. Were for a walk. Okay,
1: there you go. Yeah, took some forethought. I like that. I hadn't thought of that before. What else? you're together. When I, when I typed in hiking, just so you know, there was like epic people up on this peak and silhouetted. We love that picture. But I thought, no, I wanted to go more real. Christianity is a team sport, so they're together. What else? Somebody. Yeah, that's right. She, what, what she said, just for you couldn't hear, some are in front,
0: some are beside, some are behind. Man, that's a, that's a great picture of just life in the family of God. Yeah. Let me give you a little bit more, okay? Um, on the one hand, we don't know the pace they're doing. We don't know how long they're going, whatever else. But they're doing step by step. The way you advance in a hike is step by step, not leaps and bounds. You don't come around the corner and go, I want to go there. Boop! No, you're like, I want to go there. All right, I'm going to go here and I'm going go here. So little by little, step by step, that's the advancement in the life of faith with God.
1: How about the idea of toil and striving? They are toiling and striving, um, even if
0: it might not look like it. Early on in a hike or a walk, it feels pretty good. I've never run a marathon. I don't plan to. But mile one or two has to be pretty awesome. woo People cheering you on, giving you water. You're like, yeah, look at me! I don't know how mile 12 is, but it's got to be terrible. Like, at some point, you're like, this, this is tough. You're still just jogging, but there's toil and strive involved. How about this? Is it, this is a great picture because some look equipped like they know how to hike. This, this woman in the back has a backpack. She's got a water bottle. She's got the little shoes and the pants. She looks like she's ready to go. There's a couple of people right in front of her. There's this dude with just a cap on. The guy in the blue shirt, he's just looking down, sauntering along. like He's like, I don't know. I got asked to hike. I guess I'll come. I'll just go on a walk. He could be in the mall, but he's not. He's on a hike because his friends want him to go hiking. Here's a beautiful thing. Galatians 6 talks about this. We are to carry one another's burdens. And then a few verses later, it says each one must, must carry his own load. What? Once again, there's tension, nuance. You read that in context, you're like, got it. Wouldn't it be easy to read the first part and go, James, you're supposed to be carrying my burden. What's up, dude? Help a brother out. Do this for me. And James, he knows his Bible. He's like, keep reading, buddy. Each one must carry his own load. There's a tension there. Every single person here is walking. No one's getting a piggyback ride. Although, if you sprained an ankle, it'd be appropriate to give a piggyback ride for a while. But someone's going to go along and go, uh, I'm super thirsty. I don't bring any water. And the girl in the back's like, I got water. She's helping carry the burden. Someone's going to need a first aid kit. She's got the first aid kit because she knows how to hike. Uh, where are we going? I've got a map. You thought of stuff. Yeah. I'm prepared. I'm helping carry the burden for the group. And you're walking. So there's loads here. I'll keep moving on. Let me ask you this question. If this picture is an example of bodily training, right? There's physical training and just going out for a walk. There's actually incredible health benefits to walking. What about spiritual training? What does it look like? And again, don't think too deep here. What does it look like to spiritually train? What does it mean to train yourself for
1: godliness? We ought to know what this means. What are some things? Fire away. Stephen. Pray daily. Pray. Absolutely. 2022 is a, is a massive just prayer emphasis
0: for our church. Doesn't mean we don't already pray, but we're just like, we're just going to turn the Bunsen burner up even more on prayer because that is a spiritual discipline. That's part of how we grow in godliness. What else?
1: Make a plan. Yeah, absolutely. Plan for it. You you don't tend to fall into good things. You don't tend to fall into success. You you make a plan. What else? Philip, work at it. Yeah, that's right. Toil and strive for these things. Richard, what are you going to say? Don't go it alone. What? Don't go, it alone. don't go it alone. Right? Rob yeah yep yep that's right yeah
0: man there's loads here right how about this go to church people people get stumped by this is anyone discipling you I don't know
1: I'm being discipled
0: here's the answer yes you're being discipled right now now what's behind the behavior some of you are like hurry up and finish I gotta eat lunch you're probably not being discipled you're just sort of like wasting time I don't know but you want to know who disciples you? Your 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 shepherds who love you and 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 feed you the word, right? So um so so part of training for Godliness is just is just showing up at church and 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 being here. Um All right, let me let me keep moving for the sake of time. Woo! Um I want you to think of this. I want you to think of how you have seen this truth play out that um that physical is some value, godliness is valuable in every way. It's comparing physical versus spiritual. I thought about my dad. My dad kept fit. One of the things that my dad did was he rode his bike a lot. And so he rode his bike and, and that's part of the way he kept his body physically fit. I watched him change his diet um, as he got older for the sake of fitness. But here's what's interesting. The fitness of my dad's body is no longer relevant. This last weekend, I texted my mom, who's sitting here. Um, we had we had uh, on my calendar. It says Dad's homecoming, Dad's graduation, is how Mom calls it. My dad was a godly guy, and so Dad's doing amazing today. Guess what? Doesn't care about his body, his fitness level, eh, not that important. But think about this: my dad's spiritual fitness is valuable in every way. You know how his spiritual fitness is benefiting me today. His spiritual fitness is benefiting two grandkids of his that live in my home, and I call them my children, that he's never even met
1: yet. His spiritual fitness is benefiting our church. Man, what a crazy cool thing that is.
0: Some value, the word used for, in verse 8, that physical is of some value, it shows up one other time in the New Testament. I love this link. You ready? Here it is. James 4.14. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for
1: a little time and then vanishes. Do you see the link here? What a great picture of why physical fitness is of some value, little time. Because it's only for this body
0: that it benefits how long does your life last? I sneezed this morning. The amount of time that the mist of a sneeze is there and then dissipates. That's the span of a life. When you look at it in eternity, that's it. So next time someone says, say, God bless you and make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Buddy, your life is as long. Hey, you could get into a whole sermon right there. They're like, whoa, I just wanted the blessing. I'm trying to bless you. I'm giving you sound doctrine." I'm going to try that. I haven't tried that yet, but that's a good one. So train yourself for godliness. Remember, everyone's devoted to someone's game plan. Last week, people were devoting themselves, they thought, just to human teachers, but it's actually deceiving spirits, demons behind teachers that they're devoted to. So devote yourself to the one true coach or the coach of coaches, the king of kings, right? Here's some practical helps, and then we're going to wrap up with this. I did a sermon series in our college ministry years and years ago at Valley Church, the church that helped plant this. It was when the Athens games were coming to town, and we called it Athletes for God. And the tagline was this, stop trying,
1: start training. Do you know what the flesh's um, mindset is? Try harder. You'll have people
0: that will tell you, don't touch, don't handle, don't taste, try harder is what they're saying. Abstain. Try harder, try harder, try harder. And all the while, the scriptures offer us these things. Walk in this path. Don't neglect meeting together. Be in prayer every single day. Grow in your dependence on it. Feed yourself, nourish yourself on the Word of God. Yeah, but it's boring and hard to understand. That's okay. Keep up. Keep going. So we have the same thing. Training ourselves, spiritual disciplines are a good thing. Let me bring up another thing. Our theme this year for community groups is what? Bring it in. Bring it in. So you want to know how you're discipled at this church? Step one, show up at church. Step two, get together midweek with Christians. Disciple one another. You grow as you help other people grow. You will be in a a group, no matter how old or young you are in the faith, You are both needed in that group, and you need that group. That's the way God built our body. I I make no sense. I'm like a little elbow. I make no sense apart from all these other parts. You just see like an elbow cap or a kneecap sitting there, like, that's gross and weird. I don't know what you do. That's how we function together as a body. So bring it in is this great idea of training. Training. Teams bring it in at the end of sports. Teams bring it in right in the middle of a, of a drill. Stop. Coach says, stop everything. Get in here guys. Come here. Remember that all we need to do is play our position. Stay true to your position. You're trying to play every position. Knock it off. You're slacking. We can't have you slack. Everyone has to be, we, we good. All right. Team on three. Boom. If we don't go back to our sedentary life, catching up on Netflix. We go and accomplish something. We go and fight on a field for something that matters. So bring it in is just absolutely huge. How about the word of God? These are all in your notes. Um, but the next one I have here is just, is just word. Here's what I mean by that. It's, it's important to hear the word of God. It's also important to read the word of God. But let me keep pushing. It's important that you study the word of God. You would not have caught the truth that sits between verse 5 and 6 of 1 Timothy 4 with a cursory reading, would you? You know why I saw it? Because I studied it. That's it. So study the Word of God, memorize the Word of God, meditate on the Word of God. That means chewing on it, so you can break it down and actually get the nourishment. And probably the most important thing is apply it. (laughs) So if you really do all those things, if you seek to apply it, then you'll go. Wait a minute. How am I supposed to do? Have nothing to do with irreverent myths and call it out. Well, that's where you be. That drives you back into study. That drives you to go, hey, church, help me out. How do I do this? That's the word of God. Uh, The next one is get specific. A practical help is get specific. Why? Because we are prone to vagueness. Avoid general commitments. To love everyone is to love no one. Isn't that right? All the
1: one another's of scripture. Don't leave those general. Put a name next to it. Aim for specific
0: obedience in specific situations. By the way, community group questions every week, my heart, Matt's heart, Andres's heart, whoever's preaching, is to drive you to specifics and not let you just think ethereally about, yeah, well, we should avoid myths. How are you avoiding myths? All right, two more. Don't give up. Um, all training, whether
1: physical, mental, or spiritual, is characterized by failure at first. So, don't give up. Keep at it. There's gradual growth, it's perseverance, it's all about taking the next step.
0: Band, let me have you come on up and I want to show you two more things. Jonathan Edwards, uh, as a young man in his 20s, wrote down these different things that he was going to do. And one of the things he said was this that he is going to continue to fight against sin, however unsuccessful I may be. Isn't that a weird thing to write? I resolve to continue fighting against sin, however unsuccessful I may be. And it calls to mind Proverbs twenty four sixteen. for though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. But the wicked are brought down by calamity. Here's a final point I want you to look at. Oh, the engineers love this stuff. Les literally let out a gasp when he saw this earlier today. If this is growth in godliness and this is time, here's what's true of, of, Christian, of, of, of Christian growth. That what you know over time and what you put into practice over time, the gap between those two will widen. In other words, what I know right now as a Christian at age 50 is, is way more than what I knew at age 20. And the gap between what I know and what I put into practice is actually bigger now than it was when I was younger. Why? Because that's the nature of spiritual growth. But here's what I want you to see. Look at what you're putting into practice over time. You are growing. Christ is forming himself in you as you are training yourself in Christ. Make sense? Man, we can encourage one another with this. God, thank you so much for being our coach. God, for being our shepherd, for being our king. Um, We are servants of you. We're joyful about that. God, we want to become great servants uh, in you. Thank you for showing us how. In Jesus' name, amen.